Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we're finishing up, we're closing out our series um, called Unshakable Foundation. And we've been talking in this series, learning how, listen to this, learning how to stay together when the world is fall apart. How many know the world is falling apart right now? It's clear to see. It's not like you have to be a prophet to know that. You don't have to be a futurist to see that the world is truly falling apart. But just because the world falls apart, how many know we don't have to? We don't have to. And Jesus told the story in Matthew chapter 7, where he clearly said this. He says, everyone who hears my, these words, my teaching, and applies it to their lives will be compared to a wise man. Everybody say wise. Wise. Will be like a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. The story goes on to compare as a, a wise and a foolish man who built upon sand. And when the storm came and the, the, the winds blew, what ended up happening was the one that was built upon the f- unshakable foundation stood firm. The one that was built on sand collapsed. I don't know about you. I, I want to be wise and not foolish. Amen. And I know I, how, many of, how many of you in here, how many of you know, like we've made some unwise decisions. So go ahead and raise your hand. Confess your sins. Okay, we all know it. If you haven't raised your hand, then you're being foolish right now. So we know it's already apparent. We've all made unwise decisions. And I think one area that I believe God wants us to touch on this morning, and I really had a burden for this over 21 days of prayer and fasting. As we're reading these cards and praying over each one of them every single morning, I see that there was a reoccurring theme that was a prayer need. It was finances. It was money. And it's like, I believe in church, we've almost pulled back because we don't want to like touch money because it's like, ah, they're going to ask for my money. I'm running. They're going to ask for my money. When, when Jesus, all he talked about was what he wanted to give you, not take away from you. And and sometimes we look at this and we go, man, well, that's not foundational building. And I want to challenge that thought this morning. Can I do that? I want to challenge that thought this morning that going, okay, prayer, Bible reading, fasting, living a godly life, like all those things are great. But what does money and possessions have to do with building an unshakable foundation? And I'll say this, 2020 revealed what was really broken in our lives. And whatever, whatever happened, whether you lost a job, no matter what it is, it showed that our security and our foundation was built upon what we had, not who we had. And so I want to begin to teach on that. How do we build an unshakable foundation when it comes to money and possessions? I want to challenge that this morning. And I'm going to ask you to lean in where Everything inside you goes, pastor's asking for money. I'm not asking for a dime. We're not raising money right now. And guess what? If you don't want to give, the church is going to be fine because God is our provider. That's why. So listen to me. I want to talk about this for you, not for me. I want to talk about this for you, for not for me. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask a silly question, and I, I really want you guys to respond. How many of you have played when you were younger, remember growing up playing truth and dare, truth or dare, right? You guys know that, right? How many people were the truth people? You were like, that's me, I'll share truth. How many of you were the dare people? 
oh, we got a lot of dare people in the house. I was that person too. I'm, I'm like, I don't want to like just share a truth with you. Like I was like, I don't have any truth, but I'll do a dare, you know? And I remember me and my brother would play truth or dare. And then, and, and, and when, when he would say dare every time, like I would give him something outrageous to do. Like I dare you to eat that, you know, or I dare you to lick that, you know, or I dare you to touch that. Hey, prank call somebody. When, nobody prank calls anymore, but what about prank calling, you know? And, and so we're, we're, we're doing these things. And anytime it was so outrageous, what we would do is we would put money on it. How many know? You're like, no, he's like, I dare you to lick that bug. I'm like, I'm not licking a bug. And he's like, I'll give you $5. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> right, we begin to think like money gets involved and then you go $10 and I'll do it, you know? <laughs> you begin like bargaining and negotiating about what you can do and the little things that kind of manipulate us. And I believe it's a funny story but I believe many of us grow up with a truth or dare mindset about finances, money, and stewardship. We hear very little truth of what God is saying about our money, and all we do is go out in the world and we dare. We get dared. Think about it for a second. We try to buy things that we can't afford to impress people we don't really, really even like. And we begin doing that, and so we disregard truth because most of us didn't grow up with that. And it was like a faux pas to even talk about it in a scriptural context. And then we end up getting dared a lot by the world, don't we? The world's mindset is, I dare you to go buy that car. I dare you to buy that house. I dare you to, do, I dare you, I dare you. And it's this dare mentality that all of us go, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And we begin to get dared. Now, before you write this off, I, I just, I hear this a lot from people where you go, hey, pastor, just stick to religious things. Here though, just stick to religious things uh, and, and kind of stay away from those things that make people feel uncomfortable. I kind of want to challenge that this morning because the enemy wants us to do that, wants us to avoid out of fear when God wants to put his finger on something so that he can give you life. He does. Because whether you know it or not, the truth is Jesus talked about money twice as much, listen to this, twice as much as he talked about heaven and hell. Some of y'all just blew your mind right there. I just saw your mind explode, right? That's just the truth of it. Matter of fact, 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus had to do with money and possessions. Almost half, almost half of his parables. And in the Bible, there are over 500 verses about prayer and faith, but there are over 2,000 verses about money and possession. Now, why did God do that? Matthew 6, Jesus gives us a clue. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God is not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. But he knows because those two things are connected, he has to go after your money to get your heart. He knows that. And so we sit here and we wrestle with these things and we're going, man, this, is, this is, doesn't seem right. But I love what Billy Graham said. The great Billy Graham said it this way. If a person gets their attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. And today, can I just be, we're gonna get it straight today. Amen? We're gonna get it straight to see what God's word says about how we should steward, how we should build a foundation of stewardship. Because Jesus taught that what we think isn't spiritual, money is very, very spiritual. All money has a spirit on it. 
It's one of two spirits. I want to look at it this morning in Luke chapter 16. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. He says, no servant can serve two masters, okay? He says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Listen to this. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And you're going, what's mammon? It sounds like a weird cracker, Pastor Greg. <laughs> now listen to this. This is so interesting. Mammon is Aramaic, and it's a transliteration, it's a big fancy word, transliteration for the Greek word mamus. Listen to me. And we don't have a word in the English language for it, so we made up a word called mammon. That's what we did. Some, some of them have money in there, but really the true context is mammon. And the interesting thing about this word is it actually is a Syrian word that, that means, listen to this, God of riches. It was a god in the Syrian era, time, and they believed that there was a god of Mamus that was the god of riches. So some of your translations when you read this verse will have money, and it's a capital M, and there's a reason for that, because Jesus is going at the god and not the thing of money. Does that make sense? Am I making sense right now? Because I want to make sure you get this. Because God, Jesus is not attacking money, he's attacking the god of riches in our lives. And it's so interesting because it's a false God of riches where we rest and rely on money. And Satan uses the spirit of mammon. Listen to this. The spirit of mammon to pull us down, pull us back, and tell us lies. If you don't believe it, you can look around in this world. It's why Jesus called Satan a thief. He steals from us because he steals the truth out of our life. Of really what mammon this mammon is really all about let me let me show you what i mean by how messed up and how the spirit of mammon is deceiving us remember all money all money all possessions have a spirit on it listen to this there's a book called the day america told the truth and they did a a big survey and here's here's the question what would you be willing to do for 10 million dollars it's unbelievable. It's, it's funny in a way, but it's really sad what people would do. What would you do for $10 million? Some of y'all are like, I'll, I'll do anything really right now. Here's, here's some of the responses. 25% would abandon their entire family. Wow. It gets worse. 23% will become a prostitute for a week or more. 16% would give up their American citizenship 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. Listen to that. 7%, this is out outrageous, would kill a stranger. I mean, 3% would put their children up for adoption. Now, sometimes I feel like I would do that for free. Matter of fact, I would pay you $10 million to take that from me. Totally kidding. But how sad is this, right? All money has a spirit on it. And it's either the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. It's one or the other. And we never really look at it this way because we've never seen it in this mindset because it's either the world's mindset or God's mindset. And Jesus said, you're either serving one or the other. You can't serve both. But the spirit of mammon will lie to us every single time, y'all. 
It'll lie to us every single time because it tries to take the place of God. And only God is our provider. But we believe sometimes the spirit of mammon says, no, 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 I'm your provider. This morning, I just want to expose some lies about the spirit of mammon. Can we do that? I really want to expose the lies because it's unbelievable really what it does. Three, three lies that, that, that mammon has for us. Number one is this, having more money will make me more secure. I've bought into that lie. Anybody else with me? I bought into that lie. Will make me feel really secure. Mammon will tell you that you can accumulate your way to security. Here's what we call it, financially secure. Some, some and, and it's great financial advisors. I've, I've had many of them that would use those words. We would just want to make sure you're financially secure. Okay, let's go back to 2020. How financially secure are we again? <laughs> let's just make that clear. Not very financially secure. It's a false sense of security. I, I, I mean, Proverbs 18, 11 says this. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine, everybody say Imagine. Imagine it, a wall too high to scale. Listen to what this proverb is saying. Is that the wealth of the rich, they think it's a wall, and they imagine that it's too high to scale when that is a lie. It's not too high to scale. Matter of fact, I'm telling you right now, it's false. I remember guys in the NFL that would just say, if I could just get to this amount, I'll be set. And what happens is when they get to that amount and they're like, I thought something would change. And it never does. Because this lie is saying you can be secure in that. What about you? How, how much money? Let me ask you a question. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? I'll answer that for you. More than you currently have right now. There's just no such one. Steve Jobs, at the end of his life, one of the richest men in the world, think about this for a second, one of the richest men in the world, at the end of his life, when he had pancreatic cancer and he was about to die, he said this, I got it wrong. He said, I chased after money, I chased after possessions because I thought if I accumulated enough that it would build this wall so I could feel secure and I could almost fight off anything. Well, the pancreatic cancer told him, you can't buy your way out of this one. And he said these words, I would have done it differently. I would have done it differently. You see, that is a lie from the spirit of mammon that says you can be secure in that because our security is in God and God alone, not in money. Listen to what Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Not money, the love of money. And be content with whatever you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Come on, somebody. That's what we're here for this morning. That's our security right there. Number two, the second lie is this, is that the things I own define who I am. The things I own define who I am. Whether you like it or not, our possessions and our identity are connected. And mammon talks to us, doesn't it? And here's what the lie it talks to us. It says, if you have the right clothes, the car, the house, then you'll be accepted by the right people. I've heard that before. I remember my time in the NFL, and my wife does too. And I, I, uh, 
when I first got in the NFL, it was my second year in the league. I'll never forget about this. I drive to training camp and I get there. And at that time, I didn't really care the car that I drove. And I drove a 1999 Ford Explorer or Exploder, depending on what your <laughs> definition. And, and it had, you know, 200,000 miles. And it had this giant dent in the side of the, the car, giant dent. But it didn't affect the car. And I didn't really care. But I'm an NFL player, right, driving up. And the guys walk past and they're like, Hey, bro, you need to fix your, what is wrong with your car? You, are you getting paid? Then get a new car, you know? They were literally saying those things. And I felt this like, all of a sudden this voice creep up that says, you'll never be accepted by them if you don't get a new car. You'll never, you'll never be. And just because I could buy it doesn't mean I didn't have to buy it, y'all. But that's the spirit of mammon that begins to speak to us and said, if you have more money, people would listen to you. If you have more money, your marriage would probably be fixed because you wouldn't have any marital problems. Whoo, I could go into a whole sermon about that. And we think, we buy into this lie that we want to impress people that man, if we could just do this, then we'll be accepted. If we could have more money. When Jesus said this, he said in Luke 12, he said, beware and guard against every kind of greed for life is not measured by how much you own, y'all. It's the spirit of the lie of mammon that says, hey, guess what? You're gonna be nothing without it. You're gonna be nothing without it. We've all heard it. We all hear it day in and day out from the world but we can choose not to believe in it. We can choose to believe in God's truth this morning. The third one is finally this. Here's the third lie from man, of mammon is this, is that money and possessions will make me happy. We know this isn't, like we know this isn't true, but we have something in the back of our minds that say, you'll just be a little happier though, right? You'll be, little, at least you'll be happy for a little while. Well, statistics have shown the people that win the lottery are actually the most unhappy people in the world. They said that 70%, I read a stat the other day, 70% of people who win, have a big windfall in the lottery, listen to this, within three years are probably, are bankrupt, divorced, or both. Most of them, as I'm reading this article, there were tons of people who won huge sums of cash, and listen to me, here's what they said, I wish I would have torn that lottery ticket up as soon as I got it. Because what they realized is just because they had riches didn't mean, mean they were happy because the accumulation of stuff creates an insatiable appetite. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you feel like you need. It never satisfies. That's the lie of mammon. But the truth is, in Ecclesiastes 5, it says, those who love money will never have enough. See, the Bible 2000, thousands of years ago already told us this. And how absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. You want to have true happiness? Here's where it comes from. It doesn't come from money. Romans tells us happy are those whose sins are forgiven. Come on. It says whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. We need to be happy and rejoice if we know that our sins are forgiven because Christ paid it all on the cross this morning. That's just the truth. It's the lies of mammon. It's that spirit that begins to speak to us because all money is spiritual, but we need a new spirit, amen? We need a new spirit. And so how do we get God's spirit on our money, our possessions? How do we do that? Well, we have to replace the lie with foundational truth, amen? 
We have to do that. We have to begin to pull out the lies and expose the lies of mammon and put in spiritual truth, God's truth. Not my truth, God's truth. And I believe it takes every single part of us. And it takes these three main parts. It takes our head, our hands, and our heart. If I believe if these three aren't aligned, then we're always gonna be fighting against the spirit of mammon. But if these are aligned, We will find happiness, listen to me, no matter what your bank account says, no matter what your boss is paying you, we will find that true happiness comes in Christ and Christ alone because we're secure in who we are. That's foundational building that when, listen to me, and this is coming, when the government says, unless you say these things and let these things happen, you're gonna get your 50C3 status, 501, we're gonna get, you're you're not gonna be tax exempt anymore. That's gonna be a challenge for a lot of us and it's gonna challenge our hearts to say, why do we give? Do we do it for the tax break or do we do it because God is a good God that we wanna give back? And so it's gonna be really interesting. So I want to help us create a foundation, an unshakable foundation that when that lie comes, we can say, I'm standing firm. I'm gonna stand firm because I know who my God is. So I wanna give us three truths. Come on, three truths this morning about money, possessions, and how to build an unshakable foundation. Once again, it all starts with the head, the hands, the heart. The first one is this. It starts with the head. Listen to this statement. God owns, we manage. I'm gonna say it again, because some of us didn't get that. God owns, we manage. I heard a story recently of a woman who went grocery shopping and as she came out, she had all her groceries in a cart and she's pushing it out and then she gets to her car and as she's there, she sees four men in her car. Well, like only in South Louisiana happens, she has a handgun and she pulls it out of her bag, right? And she's going, I'm about to go crazy on these guys right now. And she grabs that handgun and she's pointing it at him, get out of my car. And she forces the guys like, okay, they get out of her car. She gets in her car, throws the groceries in there. She wasn't even gonna call the cops. And she takes her key, she shoves it in ignition and it doesn't turn. (laughs) She looks three spots over and realizes that wasn't her car. She didn't own that car. How many of us are just like that when it comes to God? God, don't touch my money. Don't touch my possession. You can have my Sundays, but don't touch anything else. We don't don't want that. God, God, you can have the relationship side. I'll take the financial side. God, I'm not gonna honor you with my wealth or my income or my possessions. I'm gonna do what I want. I wanna make sure that this is mine, but that is all yours. You can touch anything else. And we almost force God out with a handgun and we go, don't you come into our space. And here's what he's saying. I own it all anyway. I'm just giving it to you to manage and to steward. And we look at our possessions like we have something to do with it. Listen to me. Look, look, look at my face. It's not our stuff. Sometimes we just need to say that. It's not our stuff. I, I love the psalmist. Psalm 50 says this, and this is God speaking. Psalm 50 says this. Every animal of the field and forest belong to me, the creator. I know every movement of the birds in the sky. And he's thinking to myself, do you? No, you don't. Okay. And every animal of the field is in my thoughts. The entire world and everything it contains is mine. 
If I love it, God has a sense of humor. If I were hungry, do you think I would tell you? <laughs> He's going, if, if I did get hungry, I wouldn't call on you. You can't feed me. Here's what he says. For all that I have created, the fullness of the earth is mine. We are called to be managers and stewards, not owners. And when we get that in our mind that we don't own anything, I'm telling you, there is a freedom that comes. Because you're going, God, this is not mine. This is yours. Thank you. Thank you for getting, why would you give me your stuff? Thank you for doing that. But we get in trouble when we be, want to become owners. Here's what Adam and Eve did, right? We look in Genesis chapter one and we're, we're seeing that God's creating everything. We go to Genesis chapter two, he creates man. But then he tells Adam and Eve to do something very interesting. Here's what he tells them. He says, everything I've given you, you can have everything. That I've, that I've created, you can have it. I just want you to tend to the ground. That's what he said, tend to it. Work the ground. That means manage. Manage what I've given you. But then we see in chapter three, when the enemy comes and the serpent comes, you guys know the story. What does he do? He tries to convince them to be owners instead of managers. Listen to it. He tries to convince them. He goes, did God really say you're not supposed to eat of that tree? He goes, because he knows that if you do that, you're going to know what he knows and you're going to become an owner. He doesn't want you to become an owner. It's the lie of the spirit of mammon. And Satan uses that right there to say, no, 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 you're an owner. You're not a manager. You're not a steward. You need to own this. And this is where we end up getting in trouble. But when we go ahead and liberate ourselves and say, it's not mine, it's God's. My health is God's. My life is God's. My salvation, my freedom, my friends, my family, all opportunities that God opens and the doors that he even shuts, all of it is you, God. When we declare that out, there becomes a freedom there to say, God, this is not mine, it's yours. Now we ask the question, what do you want me to do with it, God? And when we get this in our minds, I'm telling you guys, it's unbelievable. And you may be thinking, oh, I don't have a lot of money, so it doesn't matter to me. No, 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 this matters to everyone who God has given anything to. And if you're sitting in this room and you're breathing air, he's given you life, that means he's given you everything else in your life. It's a perspective. We're managers, we're not owners. God is the only owner. And we get it right when we get that right. The second thing is this, after we get our minds right, we need our hands. And here I'll say about hands, we have to return the first. Return the first. Now, notice that I use the word return, not give. Because it all belongs to God. You can't give God something that he already owns. Now, the first is referring to the principle of tithing. Listen, I don't expect everyone to know what tithing is. But in Deuteronomy 14, God calls us and talks about setting aside the first 10% to the Lord, the first and the best of your income. And remember, once, once, don't check out on me because, oh, he's talking about tithing, so I'm not giving. Listen to me. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. I'm gonna say it again. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And listen to me, when we get the principle of tithing, we get that it's not ours. So watch this, now there becomes application. Now I need to give it. And we need to give God the first and the best, we say this every week, not the leftovers and the last. Because he is the greatest. He is the owner and we're returning to him what is already him. Let me, let me help make this super practical for everybody. Here's a life rule to live by and it's four simple words that come out of Genesis chapter one, verse one. The first thing in the Bible says this. In the beginning, 
God. Say that with me. In the beginning, God. Now, most of you know that verse, but what if, what if we live this principle out? What if we put God first in every single area of our life? Listen to me. That if before we started anything, before the beginning of anything, God. Listen to me. Before the beginning of our day, God. Before the beginning of our year, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Listen to me. Before the beginning of our week, Sunday, I'm going to church. This principle of the first is shown throughout the Bible continuously. Why? Because if you give God the first, I'm telling you, he's going to bless the rest, y'all. It's just what he does. That's who he is. And I'm not preaching prosperity. I'm just preaching truth right now. This is God's truth. It's the reason that the first 10 commandments, when we see in Exodus 20, if you remember what the first commandment is, anybody know what it is? Put God first. No other gods before me. That's what he said. So it's a principle of priority. Listen to me. God doesn't, this isn't about religions. When he says, put no other gods before me, he's not talking about other religions. He's saying, I love that you have, uh, he, he's saying this, I, I want you to have passions and love for things. That's not what he's saying. He goes, but I want to make sure you know that I come first. You can love your job. You can love helping people. You can love making money. None of that is wrong. But if that comes before loving God, then we got it way wrong. It's the principle of the first. And tithing is that same principle. It literally means 10%, but it's the first 10%. And listen to me. God is not asking us to do anything he isn't willing to do first. How do I know that? Because he gave us his best and first, Jesus. And it cost him everything. So when we think about that, really God went first before we ever did. God would never ask something that he hasn't done himself and he just said, I'm gonna put my best and my first, I'm gonna give you Jesus because I love you and I'm calling you back to me and I don't want you to be controlled by any other God or any other thing because none of those things will satisfy you. So I'm gonna give my best sacrifice and the only sacrifice you need to have eternal life in him. That is worth rejoicing over this morning. That's worth rejoicing over. But we just return the first. If God did it, we need to do it. And here's what tithing communicates. It's not a law. It's not a law we have to follow or a rule. We tithe because tithing communicates that God is first. Why do you give, Pastor Chris? I don't give 10% of my my income. I don't give that. We don't give as a church. We tithe as a church. We give to church plants, to missions. We give, Why? not because it's required, but because we want to communicate that God is first and he is sovereign in our life. He is the one who provides for us. We're not relying on anything else. And we're not going to let the spirit of mammon or the spirit of fear for Satan to use that against us. Because during the pandemic, let me tell you, it would have been hard to run back to some of our sources, but to go, no, God is already sustaining us through this. We'll be okay. And God was faithful, not because we were faithful, but because we put him first. God wants you to put him first in every area of your life. And I'm telling you right now, finances is that thing. Possessions are those things. And here, because here's what Deuteronomy 14, 23 says. It says very clearly, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God in first place in your life. Now listen to me. Listen to me. I know, I know a lot of you out there 
And I would be a, a, a terrible pastor if I didn't know your situation. I would be a terrible shepherd to lead the sheep into a place that they cannot flourish or be fed. So part of this is trusting God and it's trusting the voice that you see up here and that you hear up here. So listen to me. Some of you are saying this, I can't afford to tithe. You don't understand my situation. I got child support. I got credit card. I got all these things. I can't afford to tithe. I'll just say this very lovingly. No one can ever afford to tithe until you begin to tithe. And I'm telling you, listen to my voice right now. I'm telling you, we have two kinds of people, those two kinds of stories that I hear every single year, and it's this, those that tithe, and they go, I'm blessed, God provides for me. And those that say, I don't tithe, and they continue to say, I can't tithe. I think this is a challenge for us to begin to step out and to go, I'm gonna honor God with my first. I'm gonna honor God now with my hands. I'm taking it off and it's a challenge to begin tithing. Don't listen to me. In Malachi chapter three, God says, test me in this. Bring your tithe, bring your offering. He said, test me in this. So, hey, don't shoot the messenger, right? I'm just the server, God's the cook. I just serve the meal. So if you have a problem with the meal, take it up with the cook, not, not, not the server. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, test me. The only time in the Bible that literally God says, test me, it's the only thing in, is your finances. He says, test me. I dare you to begin tithing. Take three months, you and your spouse. Take three months and I dare you to tithe. And I just want you to step back and watch what God does. Be faithful to do that and watch what God does in your life. It's not about prosperity but you're gonna begin to see God move in the most amazing ways. I'm telling you right now, and we begin, tithing breaks the lie of mammon. It breaks the lie of mammon. The third and final thing is this. We got our head, we got our hands, now we got our heart. And here's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on true riches. True riches. Next week is the Super Bowl, and like, like we all know, um, it's gonna be a great day. It's gonna be a, a weird day because there's not many fans in the stands, but we'll all be watching probably, no matter who's playing. And what's interesting is, is I remember even 11 years ago playing in that and getting gearing up for it and all those emotions and feelings start to come back when you see them run out of the tunnel and you see the lights and you see all, all the pageantry of the Super Bowl week. And, and I remember just the whole day and it was amazing and then winning, it's unbelievable. And I remember the day after, it was awesome. Like I, I flip on ESPN and I'm watching, I'm just going, they're, they're talking about us. Here we go, this is awesome, you know? They even said my name, this is great, you know? And I'm just like, golly, this is amazing. We get back and there's parades and there's just like everything else. And then like you kind of coast for the next few weeks off of this high. You can imagine that you're going, what did we just do? I remember about three weeks after the Super Bowl, probably one of the darkest times of my life. You would think it would be one of the best times. It was probably one of the darkest times. Because I was, as I was driving it, it was almost like this dark cloud came over me. And I turned to my wife and I looked at her and I said, is that it? Some of you understand you work your life to accomplish a dream that you had and very few get the opportunity to do what I did, and I'm so blessed. And I look at my wife, and this just darkness going, 
is this it? Every goal I set when I was eight years old, y'all, I've, I've accomplished. There's not one I haven't accomplished. And I should be happy right now, but I don't, I'm not happy. And I realized very quickly the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, because it's all about you and it's not about anybody else. It became about what I could accomplish. It became about my dreams. It became about what accolades I could get. It became about me. I took my focus off of true riches, listen to me, and I put it on earthly riches. Because true riches is really what Jesus came for. And here's what he said in Luke chapter 19. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I so desperately wanted to read that verse. Listen to me, you can leave it up there, guys. I wanted to read that verse in Luke 19, and I wanted to say, but can it say that like Jesus came to seek and to, and to give more riches, right? More accomplishments, more accolades. Can it be, he goes, nope, 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 nope. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. True riches are not earthly riches, True riches are what God values, and God values people. People. This church wasn't built so we could look good, so our Savior's church could look good. It wasn't built, listen to me, to get as many people in here. This is awesome and wonderful. It was built because we wanted to save a city, y'all. We wanted to see lives transformed, marriages restored, not through money, but through the Spirit of God. We came to seek and to save the lost. And if that's Jesus' mission, listen to me, that needs to be our mission. And when we get our heart focused on something else, I'm telling you, it leads to a deep and a dark place that will never be satisfied. And we begin to buy into the lie of mammon instead of the spirit of a loving father who wants a relationship with us. This morning, I wanna pray for us, but listen to me. There's some of you in here, and can I speak as a, as a father? This is the way I would speak to my kids. Listen to me. Some of you are sitting there going, I don't care what you say. I'm not giving my money. I, I'm not asking for your money. I don't want your money. Listen to me, I don't want it. But God, he wants your heart. I'm here to do what Jesus told me to do, which is to seek and to save the lost. And we can't tiptoe around the area of our life that we're not willing to confront because God says, I wanna use that area to bless you and to bless others, but I can't do it unless you give it to me. This is a time of repentance. And I'm gonna pray this morning that the spirit of mammon be broken over your life. That that hard heart in that one area begins to soften and change. Not because I said it, but because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he wants to expand his kingdom and his family to the ends of the earth. And it's gonna start right here in Lafayette, Louisiana. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you. You're a good God that gives good gifts and we know this morning, God, that there's a spirit of mammon that is on this world, Lord. 
And we're not trying to over-spiritualize it, God. That's just the truth of what you revealed in scripture. So this morning, God, I ask for a supernatural repentance. And maybe you're here this morning, you're going, Pastor, I, I, I have that spirit. I have that spirit. Well, I'm praying this morning that as we repent and we turn away from what we think is right, we turn to what God says is truth. And in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to cleanse those hearts that are repentant, God, to replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh that only you can do, God. And we break it in the name of Jesus. Satan will not lie to us anymore about finances and money, our security, our identity. It is not in those things, God. It is only in you. So this morning, God, we turn from our evil thoughts and we turn to you, knowing you can do more than we ask or imagine, Lord. And so, Lord, help our minds to not buy into the lie. Help our hands, Lord, to give generously, to tithe without thinking, God, knowing that you are doing more with our 90 than we can with our 100, God. And finally, God, to focus on the true riches, to seek and to save the lost. Thank you, God, for being a patient and loving father, even when we don't get it right, God. Thank you, Jesus, this morning. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, this morning's about surrendering. When we come before God, we can't come with a prideful heart. We can only come by surrendering. And some of you this morning, you surrendered your finances just here and now, and God is gonna to begin to use it in an amazing way. Once again, he doesn't want your finances, he wants your heart. And some of you, your first step isn't your finance. Some, some of you, your first step is your heart. And surrendering everything we have to God is just, it's called being born again. Where God begins to change us from the inside out. He doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. And this morning, maybe you're here this morning, you're going, I've never been born again, Pastor Chris. How do I do that? It's as simple as A, B, C, A. We just admit we're sinners. We have wrong and bad mindsets. B, we believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover our past, our present, and our future sins. And C, we confess him as Lord. That means boss over all of our life and Savior. This is not about you just getting to heaven. This is about having heaven here on earth. And you can only do that by being born again. And so this morning, I'm just gonna pray a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. The Bible clearly states our faith in Jesus Christ saves us. But I'm gonna pray a prayer. And if you're here this morning going, Pastor Chris, I've never been born again. I wanna invite you. This is your chance. And just like everyone has a physical birthday where we were born one time, we all have a spiritual birthday where we were born again one time. And that surrendering allows God to begin to move in our hearts in the most amazing way. So this morning, if you're going, Pastor Chris, I've never been born again, will you include me in that born again prayer this morning? I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you to take a bold step with all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I don't want you to care who's around you. This is not about who's next to you, what they'll think. This is about you and God. If you're going, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer this morning. I just want you to quickly just raise your hand and put it back down on the count of three. One, two, three.
three, I see you, awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, awesome, 10, 11. You can put your hands down, last 30 seconds. If you raise your hand once, you don't ever have to raise it again. It's the grace of God. He covered our sins. But if you're going, Pastor, I should have raised my hand. I don't want you to leave here with any doubt. But if that's you, I want you to raise your hand now. Anyone? Thank you. I see you. 12. Awesome. Well, church, with all those that raised their hand this morning, we're going to repeat this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for all those who prayed that prayer this morning?